Hey, welcome to Tape to Tape, powered by Ram Motor Trends, back-to-back winner of Truck of the Year. I'm Ryan Dixon. I'm a writer for Sportsnet.ca. Joining me on the other line, the mountain man, Sportsnet's <laughs> NHL editor, Rory Boylan. Rory, how are you? Good. In I guess my look is playoff slash now vacation post yeah. mode. <laughs> yeah, just uh, keep it going. I'll keep it going for a little bit. I know my wife does not like it, so I don't know if that's a winning battle for me. Uh, I think it's not long for this world. <laughs> You're probably on the clock then in that case. Yeah, definitely, definitely. Yes. Well, full disclosure, we meant to jump on these microphones last week, but we had some technical difficulties, some smoking laptops, so we got delayed a little bit. But we are finally here to talk not only about what we've seen through the first really two weeks. We're two weeks now since the draft and free agency essentially, but also to look ahead to what might still be ahead in the offseason. We've got another team writing a letter to its fan base, the Chicago Blackhawks. Prepare yourself, Blackhawk fans. I can't wait to ridicule that a little bit. And, you know, things have shaken out with some signings and extensions and trades. We've got some salary cap issues to talk about. Certainly some teams that are feeling the crunch. But before we get there... Let's talk about, um, put a bow, I guess, really on everything we've seen. I mean, there are still some notable UFAs out there as we record this on Wednesday. Mike Hoffman, Michael Grenland, guys who can really help a team. But most of the big dominoes have fallen. I ask you this, when you look around the NHL landscape, does it feel like anything has really changed? Has there been an appreciable shift, do you think? No, a lot of questions, though, about how things maybe could work out. Like, there there are situations like Calgary, um, which I'm not really sold on. They're much better. I think there's some risk there. But if it hits right, then they could be way better. Like, if Markstrom is the Markstrom of last year and, and there's absolutely no problems there, then Calgary could be in a better position. I just... I'm not sure how much I'm buying into that or not. Are you just not uh, sold on him? I, I'm not... I'm not, no, I mean, no? As, as an elite goalie, I mean, this was his best year that he's ever had, right? I, I, I guess I'm more concerned about that contract in the, in the term, like what, where he's going to be four, five, six years down the line. But I'm a little just like, you know, he's over 30 now. Was that the best we'll ever see him? And is he getting paid for that? And it's not that I'm thinking Markstrom's going to fall off and be a sub 900 save percentage goalie or something like that, but is he going to be considerably better than what they got from either David Riddick in the first half or Cam Talbot in the second half last year? You know, they were great in their two halves and Talbot was good in the playoffs. So I don't know that it's going to be in a, in a huge upgrade for the Calgary Flames for the money that they spent. I could be wrong. I mean, well, it's not you, a bad signing. You, the, like you take issue with point one of the last thing I wrote for the website on Monday, which is I, I actually think the Flames should be getting more credit for this and it, it taps into i guess not even necessarily they should be getting more credit but one of my pet peeves is contract analysis without context right and just looking sure. at the contract in a vacuum i'm sure the flames would love to be cap compliant and competitive in 2026 but what they're really trying to do is win the cup now right and I know I know you can jump on the goalie carousel and find value every year, but that's stressful going out into the market and, and seeing what you can find every year. And you're right. This was Markstrom's best year, but he's been very consistent really three seasons now. So you might be paying more for a 9-17 goalie than a 9-25 goalie. 
Um, but I yeah. just think them being able to say, we have, we have solved this, or we feel confident that this is something we can cross off our list of stuff to do. I just like that settled feeling. I, I get it. And like, to be clear, I'm definitely not calling the flames losers in this. They're, they wouldn't be in that category. I just, I don't know if it's a 100% slam dunk, sure. huge upgrade for them. And, and, you know, maybe this is going to sound like I'm talking out of both sides of my mouth, but again, I'm not calling Calgary a, a loser here. I would call Edmonton a loser for not getting a guy like Mark Sturm, though, right? Well, put, a pin, put a pin in that one. Yeah, I want to get, get back, back to that. that. But this is this is kind of what I'm trying to say is I'm I, we're looking at these landscapes and trying to figure out like who has significantly improved. And I'm looking at Calgary and I'm like I like I like it. It's not that I don't like it. Right. There there is certainly risk in the term of that deal, but I just I see what they did get from either of their goalies when they were hot last year. And I look at Mark Sturm and I just I, I'm not convinced that signing alone makes them so much better when you've got, you know, Mark Giordano did not have a very good year last year um, and he's getting older. They lost TJ Brody. They still haven't brought back uh, Travis Hammond. There's questions about Johnny Gadrula. There's a lot of, there's a lot more going on with that team that I can't look at the Jacob Markstrom signing alone. I know they got Tanev as well. Um, and say they are much better now because of that. I, I just think it's not so clean. I guess the thing is there's no upper tier teams that got a lot better because I think you have to look at Buffalo clearly and say the stall trade was great. Um, yeah. I, I mean, I'm not saying that he's a stud number two necessarily, but he is clearly the kind of player and person that city and dressing room could benefit from. And then they landed the top forward on the open market. It's just, what, what does that add up to? Does that add up to them being a, a playoff, a fringe playoff contender? We're not talking about a team that was in, you know, was living in the second tier that has jumped up to the first tier. We, we haven't really seen that. Or a first tier team like even Colorado, which, you know, I think people like the move for, for Saad, but it's not like they went out and added Hall and now you're going, oh man, these guys are loaded for bear. Yeah, I mean, Colorado, um, I mean, I struggled to, I I took a little bit of heat for not putting them in my winner's piece, but I mean, when 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 you were thinking that they were going to get Taylor Hall and then they end up with Brandon Saad, it's like, okay, they're probably a little bit better than they were last year, but they're still, their goalie situation is yeah. like, uh, you know, they, they ran into a lot of problems when Grubauer got hurt last year and they didn't add the huge impact players we thought they might when we heard that this is the all-in season for them. They could throw a lot of money at this team for one year before having to give Landeskog and Makar uh, their extensions. And they didn't make any huge additions like that. So, I, you know, e expectation versus reality, I guess. I, I'm not really sure they're, they're huge winners. They're probably a little bit better, but... You know, they were already in that top tier of teams. They didn't level up from that and, you know, even go higher in that tier. I think they're pretty much ranked where they were last year for me. Well, well and how much higher do you even have Vegas landing, I guess, the biggest fish in Petro Angelo? I mean, you add a stud right shot guy like that, but Schmidt goes out the door. Half the team is PO'd because their names were in trade rumors. You know, yeah. I'm sure it's a net gain. It has to be when you add a player like that, but... Again, it's not like you were looking at that team going, well, they had an enormous deficiency on defense and they solved it. Like, I, I don't know how much further along that team is. Yeah, I mean, it's a, basically to trade Petrangelo for Nate Schmidt, right? And yeah. You get the better player, so 
yeah, okay, you're, you're better. You, you did the upgrade there. Um, they also navigated that Marc-Andre Fleury situation, I, I guess, as well as they could have, right, where you were facing maybe losing him for nothing, and then Robin Lehner is your starter, and you don't have that secure backup. Next year's going to be probably such a tight schedule with a lot of back-to-backs and a lot of games crunched into a short period of time. So while we've already been seeing the league turn towards being more of a tandem situation where you need a 1A, 1B now more than ever, that's going to be more true in this coming season, I think, um, than it even previously was. So Vegas is going to need Marc-Andre Fleury, and it's not, you know, it wouldn't have just been simple of losing it for nothing and finding somebody else. So you've got that stability in this short window season where yeah. everything is going to be so compact um, so you can feel better about yourself. You lost Paul Stasny, which is not ideal either. So maybe you take a bit of a knock there. But I just I, I think there was already enough depth with this team. Um, Vegas, yeah, same thing to me. It's like they might be a little bit better, but it's they are who they are. They're one of the top teams in the league. Um, if, if there was a, a team... You know, we can debate what tier they're in and everything like that. I liked what the Toronto Maple Leafs did. I thought they got uh, a little bit better. I know uh, TJ Brody doesn't shoot right, but he plays right on the right side. Um, So they got what they needed there. Um, They, you know, Joe Thornton, let's see what he's got uh, left. I mean, I'm, I'm happy that he's in the East now. We get to see him a lot more. He's not the same Joe Thornton he was at his peak, but I'm interested to see what is still in the tank there. And, you know, the fact that they got a first-round pick for Kasperi Kapanen, yeah. looking at what the market is now, there was a huge win. The Andreas Janssen trade was always going to be a loss, just a, a salary shredder there. Um, I, I think they're a little bit better. They should be a little bit harder to play against. Wayne Simmons, you know, not not a 25-goal guy or anything anymore, but he's going to give you that jam on the bottom six that they feel they, they needed. I thought the Zach Bogosian signing was a little, maybe a bit trying too hard to be, to reflect what the lightning were. I don't know if that was completely necessary, but again, this is, this is what they said they wanted to try and do was get tougher and add a, add a defenseman to play on the right side. And they did those things. So I, I think they're better. And, and I, before we move on, Ryan, I, I really wanted to touch on what the Montreal Canadiens did because there, there is a lot of risk there, right? Like you trade out Domi, for Josh Anderson, who was an injury-shortened season, scored just two times, um, you know, what's he going to become? And then you give him a long-term contract for a lot of money. What's going to happen there? But I, I like the risks that they've taken because they needed more goal scoring. They needed more size. Josh Anderson hypothetically gives you both of those things. They've got some younger guys coming up on onto the blue line as well. You, you solve your backup goalie situation again you're probably going to be resting Carey Price more than you ever have before and keeping him rested for those playoffs Joel Edmondson good for size on the back end too um you know while we're watching kind of Tampa Bay figure out what it's going to do with its cap situation Boston's lost Tory Krug and hasn't you know maybe they'll lose Daniel Chara at this point They're, they haven't done a whole heck of a lot Toronto was, has approved, improved a little bit. Look at what's going on around Montreal in that division. You could make an argument that they have improved the most and in the Atlantic. And that's coming off a pretty good playoff showing for them, too. So I think it's promising that, you know, if we're looking for teams in the NHL that maybe moved up a tier, maybe the Canadians are that team. Not that they're a top-tier team or anything like that, but maybe they're a bit more of a challenger, a pesky, hard-to-handle challenger uh, than they were before. 
I messaged a pro scout just saying, do you love what anyone's done? And he said, the Canadians, his uh, response about Anderson literally involved heart emojis. And he said, I don't think they have to overachieve to make the playoffs. So I, you're right. Like exactly what it adds up to. I don't know. It's certainly hard to look at them and say they're a true contender unless their wildest dreams come true with Suzuki and Kotkiniemi. And, you know, they all of a sudden really look like two guys who can be at the top of your center depth chart. The Anderson risk, I, I think that's a roll of the dice you take every day of the week because the payoff is so enormous. And, I mean, think of it this way. If Max Domi had stayed with the Canadians and, you know, broke his leg on the eve of training camp, would you be throwing in the towel and going, well, they have no chance to win now? Like, if they had lost him for nothing, you would still be looking at the center position going, you know what? They're actually pretty okay there. Like, they will be able to turn that player where they had a huge surplus or it certainly looks like they have a surplus into a guy who, yes, we don't know what he's going to be, but if he had already become what he might be, there's zero chance you get him. Zero chance. If he becomes a six foot three guy who can fly and pop 25 to 30 from the wing. I mean, that is the guy Mark Bergevin has been looking for, for a long time. And, and you know, the Toffoli signing, uh, I, I think right. there's, yeah. there's value there as well. And he is a, he's not a huge, huge guy, value. but he's a bigger guy, but um, there's, there's scoring throughout. It's ultimately again, going to come down to what happens with those top two guys, uh, Kotkiniemi and, and Suzuki. But I, I look at everything Bergevin did and nod my head and go, yep, 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 yep. That's how I feel yep. about it. Yep. He, he loved them. I forgot even about the Toffoli setting, I man. How many, a guy like that took a pay cut in free agency for crying out loud. Like yeah. how often do you see something like that happen? And, and so, you know, I, not I think, to come to Montreal, that usually yeah, doesn't happen. Exactly. Exactly. Um, but you know, for, Montreal showed well in the playoffs and ultimately they just lack scoring touch at yeah. the end of it. It's all on Brennan Gallagher and he's injured pretty much yeah. a lot of the time. So you just need a little bit more there. And, and Toffoli's always been a guy who's gotten shots. The shooting percentages have just never been high enough. And it's always been a wonder of, is it just that he's not that elite of an of a finisher, or is there some bad luck? I mean, he was on a Kings team that just generally didn't shoot for a high percentage. He had a 30-goal season a few years ago. Like, is that attainable for him in a system like Montreal's, or maybe he'll get a little bit more opportunity? And and then, like you said, I mean, the upside for Josh Anderson is absolutely enormous. So you've you've added what you really needed there. And and you know, just a quick hit. I, I also kind of like what Vancouver did. Uh, I don't think they leveled up. I don't think, you know, I, I actually cl- included them in my winners when I did the winners and losers after the first weekend in free agency and took some heat for that. But again, to your earlier point, it's about the context of the situation. Like they they were in such a hard position with Jacob Markstrom yeah. where pretty much you had to make your call right then and there. Are you going to give Thatcher Demko to Seattle or are you going to – let Jacob Markstrom walk and figure it out. And a lot of questions around Braden Holtby. I think his save percentage was 897 this year. He's not been the the goalie that he that he has been. But you didn't have to give him the no-move protection, so you can, can leave him available to Seattle if you choose. There's always the chance that he kind of finds that groove again and, and solidifies your goalie. I mean, 
it's not inconceivable that he's the better goalie between him and Mark. I wouldn't bet on it, but it's not. Sure. It, it, it could possibly happen. And then the Nate Schmidt trade for absolutely nothing, a third round pick next year. I mean, that that was a, a huge find for them and it helped absorb the loss of Chris Tanev. It's an upgrade on Chris Tanev. Would have been nice to keep Tyler Toffoli for sure, but you know, cap considerations. It's not. It was not going to be easy to keep all of those guys. I thought they did well considering their position. I don't think they got worse. They could have got a lot worse, especially when the, after that first weekend, all three oh. of those guys were gone, and you didn't have any like panic mode, right? It was going to get really bad. And now you look at it as like, okay, they're fine. And just to wrap, those two GMs, Bergevin in Montreal and, and Benning in Vancouver. I, I we've talked a lot about Montreal, but I just think they both get a lot of negative press that they don't usually deserve. I think they've done both done a pretty good job of managing assets, building out their bases, getting young talent, and then and then supplementing that with with what they've needed. And I think uh, they they did for their own situations. They both did relatively well this off season and leave their teams. In, in good standing going into next season. It's funny. Bergevin's been there since 2012. The best they've done is make one conference final six years ago. But if you told me he was going to lose his job, I would, I'd be scared. I'd be like, well, who, who, who are you going to get? Who's for sure better than him? Because if you just look, go move by move, especially the last three years, I know people are going to lose their minds about Sergeyev Druam, but even that I would qualify as a good miss. It's like when you're going for the green and you don't hit the green, but you didn't put it in the drink. You still have a under 25 guy who's paying, you're paying 5.5 to get you 55 to 60 points who still has a chance to hit. Anyways, I don't want to go and too far. Like down you're the in a bad hole. situation on the blue line. You're, no. You've got Romanov coming, right? And you, you yeah, it's, I think some of the, the negative press for him comes from, you know, what happened with P.K. Subban for sure. And how does that um, look four years later? The, exactly, exactly. And just the fact that he's had to change direction with this team, right? Like they've had to kind of step back and rebuild and retool a little bit. And that can just kind of be seen as a negative thing sometimes. Like, oh, well, he didn't do it right. So now we got to change again. But it was the right thing to do. And it's, and it's paying off right now for the Canadians, it looks like. So we have to circle back to the other team that was after Markstrom, the Edmonton Oilers. They came up a year short. He chooses their provincial rival, Calgary, and the Oilers wind up bringing back Koskinen. Well, Koskinen was locked in. They bring back Mike Smith for 1.5. Now, I, I would love to have two drinks at the hotel bar with the GM and just find out how much white knuckle mayhem happens on the first day of free agency. I know, especially when we don't have the week leading up where you can talk to players and lay some groundwork. I can't imagine, you know, the tension and anxiety you must feel while you're waiting on one guy's response while wondering when you can spring plan B into action. But I just look at Corey Crawford in New Jersey for 3.9. And if I'm an Oilers fan, I ask myself, would I rather have Corey Crawford or Mike Smith and Kyle Turris or Mike Smith, even Tyson Berry, right? I mean, I, yeah. I don't mind the Turris and Berry signings at all on a vacuum, but I would so much rather have a guy who has obviously had health problems, but has a long history of being a good goalie, has been, a, was, you know, 
his five on five save percentage, fantastic last year. I can keep Koskinen. I can sign Crawford for a two-year deal that gives me some time to figure it out. I know I'm bringing him in. In my mind, if I'm Ken Holland, I'm looking at him going, I want to play him 50 games, and he's my game one playoff starter. And, I, you know, he's in New Jersey. I, I'm not 100% sure what the motivation is on, on his side, not knowing what was available to him, because he, he's obviously looking for a cup, and it, it feels like that's not going to happen in Jersey. But, you know, I, if Markstrom was, was best case for them, I just look at that as a clear number two option that would have been, I just would have been feeling so much better about that as an Oilers fan other than, all right, here we go with Smitty and Koskinen again. Yeah. Uh, I mean, they lost free agency because they couldn't upgrade their goalie situation. Um, the Crawford one was curious to me because when his, when his season ended and he spoke to the media after, he talked about, his motivation in free agency this year, not being so much about money, but about being, you know, a, a starter somewhere, being yeah. a guy that gets to play a lot of games. And you talked about his numbers. Like he's still a, a strong goalie. He played well. I, Chicago's defense was about as bad or maybe even worse than Winnipeg's last year. And he held them in it. Um, so he and can beat the, and beat the Oilers and beat the Oilers. Exactly. So um, I don't know why, he then came out of it with New Jersey because Mackenzie Blackwood is the starter there and they're not looking like they're a team that's going to be winning a cup or anything. And, you know, Edmonton's probably a couple of steps away too. But if, if you bring in Corey Crawford, all of a sudden you feel a heck of a lot better about the goaltending, which I mean, it, it was a real problem for them in the playoffs. You talk about, you know, Connor McDavid and Leon Dreisaitl and maybe the whole team just needing to be better defensively. That's absolutely true, but the goaltending was really the what sunk the Oilers, and they needed to do something to upgrade that. I'm extremely worried about the next year because they didn't. They're running back the same two guys, and I don't know how you can reasonably expect to be better out of that situation. I, I like the Tyson Berry signing, but again, it doesn't solve their primary need, which was you need to be better defensively. Yeah. He's a liability in his own end. He's going to make them really fun to watch even more than they already are by pushing that offense. If he's on the power play with Connor McDavid or even five on five, just kind of pushing that puck down the ice and, and, and getting through the neutral zone with speed and all that stuff. Like that's all good. That's all fun to see and everything like that. And I don't think it's a bad signing. And you know, the, the low investment that they had to make in Kyle tourists to be their third line center, I don't think is a bad one in a, in a vacuum. Like you said, it's just all these things together. I look at it and say, they didn't address anything that was the reason why they lost so early in the playoffs yeah. last year. Calgary maybe got a little bit better. Vancouver is about the same, maybe a little bit better. Uh, Vegas is a lot better, or, or uh, probably a little bit better, definitely better um, on the defensive side of the puck. Edmonton is the same, maybe worse, because Mike Smith is a year older, and Miko Koskinen, you know, another year of meh in the NHL. They're not going to change anything, so... Edmund, to me, was one of the bigger losers because they had such high expectations. You really have to start thinking about how do you move this thing forward here uh, while McDavid and Drysaddle are, are playing so well and you've got some guys on you know, still relatively cheap contracts and they did nothing to push it forward. So it screams to me of, I, I worry about this being another you know, kind of a waste of a season for Edmonton. They definitely did not tear up this year. 
Well, we assume they are locked into Smith and Koskinen, but we'll see. There is still some off-season to go here and uh, some moves still to be made. We're going to talk about that on the other side of the break. We got some teams that are cap crunch that are going to have to move some things around. And uh, the once mighty Blackhawks, Corey Crawford's old team has said they are entering uh, a different phase, a retool, a rebuild, a reset. Who knows? We're going to talk about that on the other side of the break on Tape to Tape. Welcome back to Tape to Tape. Rory, I make this joke often when I hear a team say they want to rebuild, but they don't want to trade their best guys. They don't want to finish the last. It's the old, I want to lose 20 pounds, but I don't want to go to the gym and I don't want to change my diet. Maybe I should Ooh, make that. I, I feel seen. I feel seen on that. <laughs> uh, there's some self-loathing involved in that for sure. Um, listen, I know rebuilding has changed in the NHL. I know the lottery yeah. has really changed it. I'm actually just this very day thinking, is there some kind of big feature I can do about the nature of, of how you rebuild now in the NHL? So, I mean, listen, the, the Blackhawks are uh, still – you know, not far removed from their their third Stanley Cup in a in a short span. They have been one of the best organizations in the league. Far be it for me to say what the hell are they doing, but I just I I I want to get your impression on you know the they followed the template of the Rangers and Canucks saying, hey fans, we're gonna take a little step back, but all indications are that will not involve trading. 1988-born Jonathan Taves or, or uh, Patrick Kane, guys who are now in their early 30s, and Duncan Keith, who's even older than that. Um, yes, I know you've got Adam Boquist, and, and obviously they drafted Kirby Dock very high in 2019, but um, I, I just don't know what the approach is going to be here. And, you know, what, what are you doing? Praying for lottery luck? I'm just not sure what this looks like. Yeah, I mean, that's basically it. <laughs> Why do we have to do these letters every time any team wants to rebuild now? It's just, uh, okay, we get it. Um, and I think I think actually a lot of fans' reaction to that letter would have been like, well, why weren't you already doing this? You yeah. know? <laughs> like, I, or you should have already. We've already thought we were doing a rebuild because we were a high pick in the draft last year. Um, we're lucky to be in the playoffs this year. Right? probably should have been a lottery team uh, this year as well. Um they're just not in a great position to get it started, right? Like you, when the Rangers did it, they were able to flip some assets, get some draft picks. They had a lot of cap space to work with, which is why they were, you know, eventually able to get Artemi Panarin. Um, they had, you know, Igor Shosturkin was already in the system, right? Like they, they had a good base to start from. And Chicago has some elements. They have some players there who are definitely promising for the future, but it doesn't feel as deep as the Rangers were. Their uh, draft pick situation is not special, for sure. I mean, they have six draft picks in the next draft. All of them are their own. They just don't have their own third-round pick. Over the, over the 2022 and 2023 drafts, they only have their own picks. They have no other picks. It's not like they've been kind of building this, and it's not obvious how you're going to get those picks. You've traded Brandon Saad, who was maybe one of your better tradable assets, but outside of that, I mean, you talked about the guys they're not going to trade. I can't imagine you're trading 25-year-old uh, rookie of the year finalist Dominic Kubelik either. 
Um, you know, you're probably not training Alex DeBrincat. He's a guy that's young no. enough that you're probably going to need through this. Oh, so, yeah. like, what Who's are you training? What, for? Yeah. What, 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 where do you go from here? <laughs> right? Like, you, you should have been doing this for the last two years, probably just, just slowly trading guys out, incrementally picking up draft picks as you go along or younger players. And it, it's now just all of a sudden this, this quick thing like, oh crap, we're, not good enough anymore and we're going to lose Corey Crawford and we have no backup plan in that. So that's automatically going to make us terrible next year. And okay, let's tell everybody we're doing a rebuild now. It just feels so um, that the timing of it is so strange because they've been going in this direction for a couple of years now. Um, and it just doesn't look like an easy one to get out of. I, I don't, I really don't know how they push this rebuild forward in a promising way outside of, just being terrible next year, which is probably a given already. So let's look at a couple teams that are going to have to do a little sorcery to get a uh, cap compliant uh, Tampa being the most prominent, but Vegas as well with the signing of Petro Angelo. I mean, we saw Tampa place Tyler Johnson on waivers. He went unclaimed. Let's start with the bulls. Cause it's gotta be the most intriguing situation. What, what do you think uh, Tampa can, I mean, what's the move here? Obviously we heard the Stamkos rumors uh, ironically involving Vegas, but um, what do you see as uh, a palatable path to getting under that 81.5? If there is one, I mean, it's just not obvious, right? I mean, the, the, it was shocking to see Steven Stamkos' name out there. And you'd think if Vegas had a way to do that, they would have done it because they do everything. Um, yeah. And Steven Stamkos is, would be a great player for anybody to pick up, right? But how many teams out there can take on an $8.5 million superstar right now and be able to give up something back to Tampa Bay? You know, Tampa Bay's... Probably not going to win that trade if they do it, but they're not a team. They don't strike me as a team that's going to trade Steven Stamkos for zilch, right? They're, 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 they're good at managing their assets. Um, all along, to me, the most obvious guy to move out was Alex Killorn because he makes $4.45 million against the cap, I think. And he's the only one of those guys who you think would be movable uh, among the forwards who doesn't have full no trade, no move protection. I think he's got a list of 16 teams to which he can accept a trade. And so right there, you have some wiggle room to deal with him that you don't with the likes of Kucherov. Stamkos even has a no move clause and have to agree to anything. Andre Palat, no trade clause. Yanni Gord, no trade clause. Tyler Johnson's got a no trade clause. So like there's no... Obvious way. And then after that, you get past Killorn and you're down to Blake Coleman making $1.8 million. And that's not going to help your, no. your situation at all. Um, maybe it has to be that, um, you know, Sergachev gets traded um, instead of having to re-sign him. I, but at the same time, I sit back and I look at how history goes generally with those defensemen coming off entry-level contracts. And especially for a guy like Sergeyev, like they don't walk into six, seven-year monster contracts. They usually get bridged right away, which keeps the cost down. And I would suspect that's where Sergeyev ends. Sorelli is just—he's the other RFA that they got sitting there. It's like, what can he get? Like, is it? If anybody was ever going to give an offer sheet that was competitive and designed to truly drive a player away 
unlike the Sebastian Ajo one last year, which was easily matchable by the Carolina Hurricanes, this would be the offseason that you would do it. And you would do it. You would target Tampa Bay. You would target the New York Islanders with Matt Barzell. Like, it's there to attack, and no one is doing it. So I'm just not convinced that it's ever going to happen um, ever again. And so Tampa Bay is sitting there as they're going to lose a trade whenever it ends up happening. I think a lot of teams are, they must just be sitting back and, and waiting for that right time, waiting for Tampa to be desperate enough that they have to lose a trade as bad as they're possibly going to do it and then pounce. And is Tyler Johnson the guy? I mean, he's not really a needle mover anymore. And he makes $5 million against the cap. If you take Tyler Johnson, it feels like you're doing Tampa Bay a favor. Whereas if you take Alex Killorn or if you're able to trade for Steven Stamkos, it feels like that's a trade you can win that is actually hurting Tampa Bay in some measurable way, whereas Johnson doesn't. Like, he's not going to be a massive loss for them. So, anyway, coming full circle here, like, there's no obvious way for them to get out of this other than the Killorn trade, and I'm not even sure that that's going to free up enough room to keep both of those RFAs. It might just so happen that they have to trade one of those uh, restricted free agents that they have for something else a little bit further down the road. What about Vegas quickly? We saw the move out Schmidt. Um, we know Fleury is staying with his $7 million hit. Is there anyone from that forward group, I guess, that uh, you think is a, is a candidate to maybe go out the door? I mean, it, there's been a lot of guys rumored, right? And it's Max Pacioretty, it's Riley Smith, it's Jonathan Marsh. So all of those guys have modified no-trade clauses. So again, there's, there's some opportunity uh, to move them there. They, they have some control, but not full control. Um, and I think that's what you're looking at right now is you're looking at one of those guys to move out and, you know, it's been touched on, but I would be concerned right now about what, you know, what the perception is for, yeah. for Vegas from other players. If this is how it's going to be, Brian Burke has talked about this a lot. I think Elliot wrote about it in his 31 thoughts column. And I think it's legit. Like you can't be turning over these players, these guys, Marcia so Smith, like they came to Vegas as castoffs from their old teams and formed this bond that created magic right out of the gate for this team that they've been able to sustain where, you know, they, they've got good players, but not like superstar players. And they've been able to be one of the best teams in the league regardless. And now you seem to be stepping back from that formula a little bit where you are trying to add in star power which isn't necessarily a bad thing but if it means having to give away the guys who got you here who made you what you are who made you the team that turned you into a destination for other teams maybe it just reflects on you poorly enough that you become less of a destination now you know there is the other side of this where it's vegas it's going to be a good place to live sure. it's great entertainment the fans like it's just a good place it seems to, to play and that's always going to be somewhat of a draw and if you have star players it's not like you're going to fall off the edge of the map and all of a sudden be a terrible team and if you're winning you're going to be a draw also but you, you do wonder like if enough of these guys move on does that perception change enough that it starts to hurt vegas and it's, it's those guys. If, if it's not going to be Flurry's $7 million contract that you move out, or at least a big chunk of it, it's got to be one of those forwards. And I don't think there's any way else around it. I'm going to be writing about this, taking a look at the cap situation for all the teams for sportsnet.ca later on in the week. You are on vacation, so enjoy that, my friend. Is it too late for some fall golf, or are you trying to squeeze in another round? 
trying to squeeze another round. It's getting nice. it's getting uh, very chilly out there. We did go once on the weekend, but bundled up and it was nice. And actually, we, uh, me and my friend were looking at going on Friday because it's supposed to be, I think, 21 degrees. Oh, nice. There is not a tea time to be had <laughs> in this city. So fingers crossed. We'll see if we can figure it out. All right. Well, tape to tape will be popping back in your feed here and there during the off season, not weekly, uh, but we're certainly going to jump on the mics every so often and especially if big news breaks. So make sure you are checking in and seeing uh, when a new pod drops. Make sure you are staying safe. Thanks, as always, to my co-host, Rory Boylan, our producers, Michael Mayers and Mike Tassoni. And we'll talk to you all very soon, everyone.